Welcome to the Keys to Leadership podcast. My name is Shiv and I'm the co-host of this podcast alongside Rashan. What's better than one podcaster? The answer is two of us. Now I've hosted the Shiv show for over three years now and Rashan has hosted Inspiring Design podcast for over two years. Together, our goal is to bring you interesting topics weekly to help you grow your leadership skills and challenge the status quo. Now buckle up and listen in. Here are the keys to leadership. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Keys to Leadership podcast. Now, this is a podcast where my co-host, Rashan and I really try to unlock what success means to a vast variety of leaders. Now, in today's episode, we've got a great leader for you to help us understand what leadership really means, as well as some of the challenges that leaders go through every day. So, Moses Marion, teacher, speaker, mentor, and someone who I like to call a dream pursuer. Welcome to the Keys to Leadership, my friend. Thank you, thank you. Appreciate it, man. I'm I'm happy to be here. Yourself and Rashan, thank you so much for. I think it's uh, long overdue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's long overdue. So I'm looking forward to it, man. You guys, um, let's let's take it and go from here and see where it flows. Let's get right into it. Absolutely, man. Well, t- today is all about you, Moses. What what we really want to do is try to understand again your your theory of leadership and and how you yeah. you've grown yourself into an amazing leader. But why don't we kick off by you just giving a quick introduction of yourself and who you are? Yeah. So I'm a. It's always tricky when people ask me that, but I'll, I'll give you a brief, right? So I uh, come from a split home, family home, uh, from a young age. Mum basically raised me from maybe 12 or 13 because um, that's when they split up. Went to school. I was always an A-grade student. Like I did really, really well at school. I was always sort of do- the top, the darks, or the straight, like always one, two, three in class. So it was always something I, I liked and I liked to achieve. I think that was something that was drilled into my head at a young age, obviously being brown and Indian you get the, <laughs> the, the you have to do well right because if it's not there it's um the, I don't get the attention at home that I want yes. so so <laughs> I, was, I was straight A student um and then uh, family split up that caused a bit of problems in terms of when we relate it back to leadership which is what your podcast is about um I'll bring in a point here we can expand on it later is that point when they split up uh, my parents uh, I was uh 12 just about 13 and it so happened that circumstances in Australia changed. Mum had to fly over to uh, Singapore with to see could go to her mum, my grandma, because we sort of had to be housed there for a while because we couldn't be here, right? And so I had to fly there first while my mum and dad here dealt with court and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I remember it was like, hey, you're going to be flying. Um, you know, you have to look after your three younger brothers. Go on the plane alone. These guys will bring you to the back, and like when you fly there, fly there, then get down, look for you, look for grandma. She'll come to the airport. And you know, at twelve or thirteen, like I wasn't scared of it, but it was like I just remember the way I was told. It was like you need to be able to deal with this, and it was also told to me in a way where it was like you can. I know you can, Moses. You've always been a good leader. You've always like that's my mum has always been very positive with me from mm-hmm. very very young age. Like I've read Richest Man in Babylon, Rich Kid, uh, Poor Kid, like all these kind of books from maybe eight, nine, ten. I started getting into those books. And so I was a little bit scared, but I kind of did that. And then I remember when I get, got to Singapore, uh, mom came a, a few days later to Singapore. It was like, I felt like, hey, I can lead things, you know, I can handle things at a young age. And every like uncle and auntie would come to me and be like, oh, wow, you actually, you brought, you know, Millennium Six, you know, like you brought them all here. How did you, how did you find it? Like, how did you deal with everything? It's like, oh, no, it's, it's okay. You know, like I made it like it was normal. But deep mm-hmm. inside, there was certain things that were happening in my mind. I didn't know it was happening on an unconscious level. But that happened. My grade started to drop because what ended up happening is um, as I went to Singapore, uh, the school level there is different to Australia. Like it's yeah, yeah. So, so it's like if you do year 
three here, I think that's like doing uh, year one there. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like absolutely different. Yeah. It's like a different level. You're there two years ahead. The reason they're leading their leaders in education in the world 100 <laughs> and so th- my my the situation what happened there is i started to lose confidence a bit because i went to school and instead of being the top i was like the dumb kid you know it's like hey man you don't get this stuff i didn't i didn't like in my head i was like well, i can't do this and my mom tried to put me in like the the higher class she's like oh he'll catch up she was she told me that she's like oh he's gonna catch up no problem <laughs> you know but i had what's happening at home when are we going back to australia like there's so many things going on in my mind that i started to go off the rails a bit anyway long story short obviously dropped out of school uh i didn't finish year 11 so i kind of left i think with just before the final exams or maybe like the last term kind of left school and then decided to go straight to work because i i just all those years as i sort of started to go off the top student and the good grades and following that sort of timeline it was like i need to do something else and i'm not gonna go like get a a, a te score that's really shit and then go out there and take a job which everyone's going to be like you're that smart guy that's now working at maccas you know what i mean or what's going on mm-hmm. so like in my head it was a little bit like that and at the time my mum was doing real estate um so she got into real estate because when dad and mum split dad left um she had never worked she's you know typical indian housewife she's at home yeah. he works kind of thing and um it was like hey you're back in the workforce i didn't even know all this i know this now but you know i was just a kid and i was like she's gonna she went to find work she ended, she got into real estate because that's one of those jobs where you don't need sort of prior experience they'll let you in and then if you do well mm-hmm. you do well it's a commission-based job you know sink or swim really mm-hmm. yep. anyway she, she did really well and i again i didn't know this at the time but she actually got really good at it and i'm i was in year uh 10 11 at that point and i remember knowing that she'd go do all these like, deals and come back home but really tired but one thing I did pick up as a teenager at the time was, hey, she gets to go to work when she wants, come back when she wants. It's kind of like she makes her own money and uh, there's no real boss, okay? Because I was, as I said, I was not ideal student in year 11. So I kind of was like, how can I go and do something like this, but at the same time, like, get mom to approve it <laughs> because she wants me to go get, you know, my year 12 done and go to uni for whatever I can, but how can I say, like, I'll do this? So end up works. Like, the thing was, she just agreed. She just said, yeah, if you want to um, come into real estate, that's fine. Like, I trust you to make something out of it because you're always pretty determined if you take action on things and you can do that. And I was surprised because I kind of thought she'd want me to force to finish school, like go to year 12 and do all this stuff. But she allowed me. And again, this is probably on an unconscious level now that I've learned about timeline and consciousness. And so on. I realized that these little things by her actions, they sort of inbuilt in me certain confidence levels that were just happening. And I think if I may interrupt mm. that what you were saying there, unconsciously, there were so many leadership qualities right there. The fact that you couldn't, couldn't actually work with a boss and wanted to <laughs> find a way to kind of, and look, I've done the exact same thing. There yeah. is, there's something that inside of us that then goes and fights against it so you mm-hmm. kind of had that already at such a young age and then your mom just propelled you into yeah. it and and gave you the go ahead instead of the typical social norms of uh, eastern cultural um 100%. mentality so sorry keep going man otherwise I'll no, love that, you. that's before, that's exactly before, before you go yeah. sorry man, let, let me just add I, i'm admiring the story so much because it, your mom has such a positive impact on your life it, it's crazy to have such a positive model in your life from, from such a young age. And she herself has gone through so many issues herself, right? And, and personally, so 
for her to go through these issues and then also have such a positive impact on her sons is, is just an amazing quality. So kudos to your mom, man, for sure. Yeah, 100%. I think a lot of the interviews, a lot of the students I work with, anyone that has met me at some point, the story of the part she plays in, in what's happened with me comes up because it is a key role. And I think when, you look, when you're talking about leadership and qualities and just how you are when you're forming your characteristics and your traits as a child growing up, right, if you don't get it at home, you will get it outside. It doesn't matter if it's mm-hmm. internal or external it's you're you're blessed if it's internal do you know if it's mom or dad and i have learned a lot from my dad as well because there's a blessing in anything that you would perceive as negative you just got to wait to find out so we can go into that as well and at that time i was like what's i didn't actually see it as negative but i was confused i would say at you know 11 12 i was just confused rather than why why is this at why is this wrong and that right i didn't even know um separation was wrong and look and you're you're literally 12 years old like yeah yeah. wrong with that Yeah, exactly. I, it's, it's funny. I'm, I'm I'm just looking at some of the questions that I sent you. One of the questions was, you know, what was ten year old Moses like? But what was twelve year old Moses Moses like? Is a complete badass. I mean, you're literally flying to Singapore yourself, taking care of your younger brothers. I mean, that's that's a story that you you don't really hear often. But it's you know you're given you're given this challenge, and then you you completely own it. So yeah. you you possess these these qualities, and you may not have recognized that as leadership, but you possess that from such a young age. A hundred percent. Yeah, this is so, so true. Like, like it's everything that we're talking about because we're now speaking from, you know, we're looking back at it. I have so much more learning on it. So when I start talking about it, I, I speak on it as if it's happening again, but then I tell you what I now, now know, do you know what I mean? Like what I now see it as, because if I only speak about it as how it is now to me, it would seem like a very easy path. But then people can't relate to it. So I want to show them, you know, I was like, at 12, yes, I was scared going and flying around, like flying to Singapore. And I, I had not seen my grandma for years. Do you know what I mean? We lived here. They were all in Singapore. Like all my mom's family is in Singapore. We had no family in Australia. My mom and dad migrated here. And this is mm-hmm. a backstory. Like they were not allowed to get married in Singapore because in Singapore back in those days, um, the the man has to have a higher degree or social education than the lady. Because my dad is Malaysian and my mom is Singaporean. So Singapore, because of the population and the size, they don't you can't sort of just like, you know, in Australia have to like buy a visa. You don't get that there. It's sort of like um if the guy Super in Malaysia strict. yeah, if the guy wants to come into Singapore, then he can marry a Singaporean, which my mum was, but he has to be of higher education. If not, she would have to go to Malaysia, right? Mm-hmm. And so they didn't, they didn't want to go to Malaysia because it's sort of going backwards because Malaysia and Singapore, one's first world, one isn't, right? It's, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was many years behind. And so it was like either come to Australia or go to the U.S. And um, they managed to come here, all right? So when they, when they came here, it was like, okay, so we're here, but we have no family here. My, my mom and dad, and that's why when I look back at my dad, he had his own stresses because, you know, I'm 32 now. Um, he's come here. He had kids similar age. And he's trying to like build a life in a new country with no family support. So I know when they had problems, I can see sometimes some of those stresses now. But yeah, anyway, yeah. they obviously, they split up. I'm in Singapore. I'm in school. I see what my mom's doing, you know, running through the story and the timeline. It's kind of like she said yes, which is the key point. She She's always believed in me. And that's, and that's lucky I had that internally. And so it was like she also, I think, was able to do it because I did read a lot. So I'm an avid, avid yep. reader. Like I read so many books like you know when I was young it was in it Blyton and all the Nancy Drew detective stories and mm-hmm. all the fantasy stories and then all the business books all the leadership just give me leadership books and it's like Earl Nightingale all these old school guys when you know you see them in black and white on YouTube now yeah. but it was those guys the guys that Tony Robbins took information from and amplified right you know and he talks mm-hmm. about who his mentors were so I had these things in my mind like I 
I, I never thought I can't. I just thought, yeah, I can. So I'm going to go into real estate. I've seen what my mum does. And, I, and the cheeky side of me was like, I don't have a boss. You know what I mean? And, and this is the thing. And so anyway, she says, if you want to start, you start working for me. Like you come and see how I do things like a little, you know, do my paperwork, help me with the brochures and stuff, see what the office does. So I kind of went in there and saw the office, saw everything. And I was like, yeah, this is, I think I like this. Anyway, had the discussion. Um, it got to a point where a few things happened. One, mum was, she got really stressed because of how much she was working in real estate. And she has a skin condition, uh, which is psoriasis, which is where the skin flares up and it flakes. And under heavy stress and in the Australian summer sun, when it's super heat, it actually gets really, really like activated, starts to go into another level of mm-hmm. um, irritation, right? So she had to go to hospital because when stress levels rise, which in real estate they can, uh, she just couldn't really work. And then I was, you know, in that year 11, like I said, I was kind of had the exam soon. I had one more year of school to go and I already had started talking to her about this. So it just so happened, she was like, well, look, I'm not able to maybe potentially provide the income that I need to provide for us to keep paying for this house and running the family. And you had three younger brothers, two of my other younger brothers were in still primary school. Um, so it was like, you needed, maybe you need to also make an income kind of thing. So I was like, okay, it takes a while to get real estate skills. And I, although I've done a bit of like seeing you seeing paperwork stuff, that's not enough to just get an income, right? So she stopped working. I signed up to drive trucks in the mine sites because if you remember back then, 2004 um, in WA, it was like mining boom. Like are my school friends that left in year, to get in. Yeah, year 10 is like some of my mates from year 10 had just jumped, got a, a, mm-hmm. a truck license, which they got from a company called, like there's a few companies doing these pop-up companies that give you licenses. You go up to Tom Price or something, you drive for two weeks, you come back for one week and they were making 150 a year back then. Do you know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. like, but come back, motorbike, jet ski, Bali, Bali, jet ski. Like yeah, I, knew, yeah. I, was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, okay, cool, cool. So I was like, okay, if I, if I go there and I make 150 and I'm like 17, 18, 19, like I'm like, okay, I can give mum half and I'll yeah. still have like so much cash. Cause to me, that was like <laughs> insane money. Um, so I ended up start going to do the license like in mm-hmm. June block here. And um, I didn't, the money is what pulled me. And it refers to what we were talking about uh, recently, Rashad, you know, about money being the driving force. And as a little yeah. guy, I was like money, 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 but also to help mum. So I did have this thing where I will help my mum. Like I need to be the guy that steps up as the oldest. And so just before like getting maybe the fight, like the final levels of the truck stuff to go and then apply for the, the role. I knew enough about real estate through being that little apprentice with my mom for, but I think it was about six months, maybe a year, just seeing everything she did, but not actually practicing. I had my license cause I went and did it while she was, uh, while she was learning, I went and did like the part-time course, which was at that time you only needed um, four weeks. Can you believe it or not to get a license to sell property? So I did the four week thing, like up here in the city and then um, I was licensed, but nobody would take me because I was like 17 there. And they were like, when you turn 18, we post you the license because you can't get it till mm-hmm. you're 18. Anyway, I was 18 and then I got the license and then I saw an ad in the paper for a real estate agent's job as a buyer's agent to work for one of the top reps in Perth at the time under a company called Ray White. And I was like, okay, mom's not working. So she was sick. She took time off, like six months off. I was like, trucks, real estate, Right. And then obviously one was big money guaranteed, but two weeks away, social life disappears. The other one was like, if you go do it, you're not sure what the income is, but you're your boss. So that tempted me. Anyway, I just thought, you know what? I'm going to try. So I, I um, applied. <laughs> he rang me and he's a, he's a Maltese um, sort of, you know, just prop like typical salesperson. When I met him, he had his shirt open, a big chain out the front. It was smoking, calls me in for the interview. Typical 80s salesperson. <laughs> yeah, like, like, and I, and, and like, you know, thick moustache 
and I was just like, I, I went like bought a white shirt the day before, you know, went to like <laughs> shopping yeah, with a white collar because I remember like the information I got from some uncles was like, white shirt is what you wear to the first interview, right? So I'm buying, never wore a suit in my life, you know, like I've always been baggy, baggy, like track pants, hoodies. And I still do that now because that's me. That's my, that's what I used to do when I was in school. So like, okay, wear this suit and I go there. And then when I met him, I was like, I'm too dressed for this. Like I feel bad because I'm sharp and he's like, all chilling, you know what I mean? He had like a coffee stain on his shirt, and I was like, "Man, this is this is really odd." Classic. Anyway, yeah. So he brings me down the back, and um, he starts doing the interview. Long story short, I get the job, but he told me one condition. He goes, "Okay, you get the job, uh, but I won't pay you. Meaning, you work for free. If you do well in seven days, which I'll give you one week. If you do well, then I'll keep you and I'll pay you." And we'll talk about the pay then. But he goes, it's not my, like, it's for me, I can't, I can't see how just because you've got a bit of experience with your mum. And, you know, when you say it's with your mum, they probably think, well, obviously parents going to help your kids. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you know how to work and stuff. But I knew the game. Like, I knew exactly what you need. Like, I knew, okay, you know, if you want to build a network, you want to, you got to show them respect. You, if, you got, if you're on the real estate deal to be happening, you got to be, you know, the hardest chaser, be the most attentive, be the most long-suffering chase. Like I knew all that through the books I've read. So he, he, I, didn't, I knew he wouldn't know that in a guy that just walks in, like what was in my mind. But I was like, okay, if you give me seven days, I guarantee I prove that to you, no problem. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I said, yeah, no problem. And I sold two properties in the first seven days. I sold one on the first night and then I sold one within like the week. And he was like, we're going to work well together. And then that built and I sort of got into that game. So these sort of things, again, on a leadership level, I was kind of like, um, we're still friends till today, you know, we, I still talk to him. He still calls me and I call him and I still call him. He's like one of my first mentors because mm-hmm. in my mind at that time, one of the biggest things he taught me in terms of work and work ethic and anything to do with that was he goes, no one is lucky. If you see me and I'm the top agent like right now. And, you know, I think he was doing at that time, like 800 K a year or 800. And, and I was like, you know, I'm coming in there. I'm like, the trucks was 150. This guy does that like sometimes in two months. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so like, whoa, this is good. I, I need to find a way up there. Yeah. And uh, he just says, it's not, I'm not lucky because everyone says I'm lucky. It's mm. I create my luck. So Absolutely. if you want to, if you want to be lucky, you're going to have to create your luck. And then I was like, okay, yeah, I'm happy to do that. And he goes, creating luck is going out there doing the work, which then gives you the opportunity. And then when the opportunity meets that, you have mm. what people perceive as luck. Mm. Um, so again, key principles learned from him uh, throughout that time in real estate. And then I did that for up to, you know, for more than 10 years and now transitioned to this because what ended up happening is that was never my purpose, do you know what I mean? As you guys can see from the backstory, it was something I just had to go and do, which allowed me an income to help my family early on. Mm-hmm. But I became good at it because in my mind, one of the other things I learned from books I read and what my mom's taught me is whatever you do, do the best you can in it. Okay. And do the, like, do it as if it's your business. Meaning when I worked for my boss before, even though I was not like the principal director, I would work like if the, you know, if I had sick leave or I had annual leave, but there was a buyer that needed to come, I'm still going. Cause if it was my business, I would have gone and done that. And that's yeah. how I treated that game. The whole, ent- my whole real estate time, I'll treat it as if it was mine. So the people that I worked for would always, you know, obviously find that it's a rare trait. And so we did well together. Every time I went, I sort of grew within the real estate ranks from working in the cheaper parts of Perth, finally to the premium parts of Perth, which is what we call Peppermint Grove, Del Keith. And, you know, worked with the top team for the, I think it was three, last three, four, your top team in Perth, and I got all the awards for that. Uh, right up up till about 2017, 18 is when I started to move away and start to go into, you know, what do I really want to do? And speaking of mentors, we've all met um, certain mentors. Some of us have the same in our past 
trainings and things. But one of the things he said to me was, what do you see yourself doing at 50? Is it still selling property? And I was mm. like, nah. Okay, what about 40? And at the time I was 27, right, or 28. So I was like, he's like, what about 40? And I was like, uh, yeah, maybe, you know. Then he's like, 30? I'm like, yeah, 100%. So then he goes, okay, well, if 50s no and 30s yes and you've got two years to 30, well, then somewhere in 40 you kind of hesitated. You kind of went like, mm, not sure. He goes, you know, have you heard of midlife crisis, you know, yeah. where people go up there and they're like, oh, shit, what do I do? He goes, okay, so it's, if you don't wait to go there and then go, what the hell do I do, right? Mm-hmm. What is it? what made you say I'm not sure? It means either what you're doing now is not fully aligned, like fully what you want to do, or you feel like there's something else. Mm. Or you need to find out like, what is the thing that is saying, telling you that real estate is not it? Like, what do you not like about it? So anyway, I, I was like, I don't not like anything because I was, again, I respect my job and I respect anything. Like it's a blessing to me to have a job that pays to be in a country like Australia. Like I look at the gratitude side of things very well. So if someone does tell me to find out why I'm not, 100% settled in the job. It was hard for me to see because I'm like, no, I'm happy. You know how many people don't have jobs? Like I went into that mindset. Mm-hmm. And he goes, it's not that you're ungrateful. It's just like, have a look because sometimes you might be selling yourself short based on something else. Okay. So the spark started like, what can I do? And at that time, I was already helping like other agents that were rookies, like training them. And, you know, so I was in that coaching, teaching space, mm-hmm. but yeah. indirectly because I was only doing it within one industry, meaning real estate. Because I was like, that's all I know. I've done this since 18, you know, in my head. It was kind of like, it's not that I didn't think I could. It was just like, I didn't even look. I was just like, this is my thing. I'm acing this thing. I'm getting the awards for this thing. This is my thing. So now we're doing this now because through that process and through understanding that actually the best part of real estate that I liked was when I helped others, taught others something, got people to see different perspectives. I was like, that's the thing I like within the game. So how can I make the game 100% that so I don't need to like also go and do the selling? Because in the real estate world, by the way, there are things that I do not like. You know, it's a dog-eat-dog world. It's a Mm -hmm. selling system. It's a commission-based. The industry in general um, can be toxic. Um, and like when I say toxic now, I have seen all the benefits of that now, but at the time, like there's certain things that it just wasn't 100% aligned with my soul's purpose. Like my, what I think I should be doing. Cause my highest highs are when I'm helping someone see something that they can't see in themselves and then go and chase that. Right. I love, I love that about it. And I could I wake up. That, that's exactly <laughs> what leadership is. Just literally <laughs> that last sentence. That's bang on. I think nail on the head. And I was, I was thinking about, you, you've been this amazing story that you've been saying. There's been so many different leadership qualities that have come through that I've been noticing that you've been saying, you know, uh, um, constantly learning and being able to know what you want, always weighing things up. And then right at the end, you just put it all together in one sentence. So <laughs> absolutely love that. So if, if, if I may, um, mm. I think, go back and ask you, if you have to summarize, let's say, the top three leadership qualities that you yourself bring to the table that you are consciously aware of, yep. what do you think they might be? I know this one's a little bit of a tangent topic, but uh, just wanted to put it out there because there were so many in that story. Yeah, no, that's easy. easy for, there's, there's tons of them. So like basic, some of the main ones for me is if you want to be a good leader um, and you want to stay someone that people can look up to and you want to take sort of an audience with you or take your clients with you, you have to understand balance between the polarities of the world, 
and the dualities mm-hmm. of the will. If you if you don't understand, if you are sort of a charged cat, you know, you sort of get certain things can happen and you you get charged or something happens on this and you're like, oh man, Trump, I see this or COVID, <laughs> I see this. Or yeah. I, I'm going to use examples which are charging the world right now. So if you're charged by something very easily, you've got to find out what is the charge within yourself that is causing you to go, I don't like that. Because at the end of the day, if you understand some of the things about leadership, right? Certain leaders, for example, whether you like or hate Trump or Biden or whoever's leading the world right now, in any country, by the way, even here with who's leading, you will like some parts of Trump, but you might not admit it if you feel at that present time there's hate on that leader. But you might go, that part I like, but you can't say it now. But then you might find all these things that you hate as well, right? And in the, so if you're, if you're going to lead, you've got to go, how can I see the positive and negatives on both sides Mm. as I assess someone rather than being unconscious of one side. So that's one of the main things. And I can go really deep into that. If you want to talk about how you ascend what I call the newer spheres, NOO spheres, which is your spheres of influence. So leadership second part would be the circle of influence, as they call it, is spheres of influence, right? And uh, newer spheres. And when I came across this teaching, I was like, man, I wish I knew this a long time ago. So this is from, and I'll tell you where the credit comes from. It's a, a, a guy that I've trained with. He's a mentor of mine, Dr. John Martini. But the, the way the, the mind works, as you ascend the consciousness levels and start to understand things in life, which then relates back to these balances, there are certain newer spheres that you ascend. Now, on the bottom, it's sort of the animalistic nature. And on the top, it's the angelic nature. And on the top, it's also what we would call purpose. We would call soul strive. You know, you're you're finding that thing that you do for free. Down here, you're basically driven by the senses. You mm-hmm. know, you're feeding. And I don't know if are you allowed to swear on this or not. But um, so <laughs> ahead, they, yeah, so they you know, <laughs> and I'm not swearing in a sense that in that sense, but in the context of it, it's like if you're animalistic, you're just looking at feeding and fucking and nothing else. Yeah. But yeah. when you when you go up, you're looking at you know what am I needing to fulfill in this life and go on that level, like my purpose, right? Mm. So you ascend the newer spheres. And as you ascend, if you're not able to put it this way, if one person can charge you up, then you're only going to stay at that level, meaning you only get one fan and one hater. Mm. If you can deal with 10 haters, then you'll also have 10 fans. Mm. So the the analogy that John Martini talked to me about when I first found out about this was like, as you ascend the newer spheres, your job is to understand that if you feel like you have a hundred haters because maybe you start a new podcast or you start a new business or whatever it is, but you feel like I only got one, one person supporting me. I've got all this hate, man. I'm going to have to stop or give up. It's just because you're not unconscious fully of all the positives. You need to kind of balance it out. Mm. So the way you rise up in leadership is understanding the balance, because if you understand the balance, you'll be able to take all that hate that keeps coming. Because if you mm. go, oh my goodness, you know, I can handle five haters, but as soon as my mum joined the hate or as soon as my cousin joined my hate or as soon as my high school friend joined that, so it might be like, oh, I just might, some of my primary school friends are hating on me, but I got all this support from, you know, my networking events and all this sort of stuff. But then there might be this one person that in your mind, you didn't realize on an unconscious level had quite a big play on you. It might be like your best mate from high school. Mm. It might be a certain cousin that you're close to, or it might be like an uncle, aunt, or it might be mum or dad. And they say something like, hey, dude, like, I don't think I condone this, whatever action you're taking, that if that's the spark and they happen to be the 25th person on your hate list, it means you'll only ever able to grow up to 25 positive fans and that's your sphere of influence, mm-hmm. okay? So it's about ascending the new spheres and finding out how can I, you know, not be so charged and understand and the, and the way to do that is not get uh, worked up by the polarities of the world because you have to understand at the end of the day, whatever the polarities, and you guys can throw some at me and I'll maybe talk to you about what the positive and negatives are but one of the things i do with the clients is if they're charged on something 
it's we balance the emotional content in the mind and then we go from there on a new sort of future because if you everything that you do now is based on a set of memories that you have on your timeline right the future imaginations that you can have if i said to you look uh tell me what tomorrow's breakfast is going to look like and then you had to think about it and you don't have to tell me like here but you can just have a like mental image oh yeah kind of what would it be for the next seven days like your breakfast and then if i go you know what would dinner be for the next seven days in your mind, you might have some sort of idea of what it could be, right? But you'll find that it's very similar to what was the last seven days breakfast and the last seven days dinners. I can guarantee with you, you wouldn't say that, you know, in, in, in uh, next week, same time, my dinner's going to be with, you know, Michael Jordan. It's not going to be something so different. It's going to be something that I can bet on that. Like I can bet it's mm-hmm. very similar to the past. So in that sense, you have to understand like everything that's happening from your past is kind of dictating how far and how far you, you, you see potential and possibility in the future. The only thing that does change that future dinner or that future breakfast to be something completely different is if you do something in the now, which is the present time. So in the present time is all the power you have. So in the present time, if something's charging you, you're limiting yourself in that moment based on whatever could happen in the future. If in the present time you get something that's going to move you and you go, why am I feeling this? Quickly try and find out, okay, if I'm if it's a negative thing, well, what are the positives? If it's something that's super positive and you go, wow, I've got this opportunity, guys come up to me, he's got a good new contract, he wants me to join venture with him, looks like I'm a mate, extra 50 grand came out of nowhere, like where's this deal coming from? That's when you pause and you go, future looks crazy, but it's not like what's been happening. What's the downside? Am I missing something on the contract? Am I missing some hidden benefit that they get that I'm not seeing? Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So I've used this a lot. It was like, it was one of the things I used when we, when I was, you know, invited to join a mentoring uh, training group, like I, we discussed, you know, in previous conversations, like come and join, help us grow. But I kind of saw some negatives in doing that. So it's like, I pull away from the decision. So there's things like that where if you're not able to balance though, you just jump because it's pretty cool. It's like, Hey man, big brand, let's go for it. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, the, the, that's one of the other things on leadership. And then the last thing is I think you need to do your own self growth. You need to look, if you're asking me for three things, the third one would be whatever you want to uh, lead people in, you need to be an expert in that field, meaning you have to invest your own time in that knowledge. Do you know, and I, 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 I referred to a section of our podcast last week that I had down with Rashan. It's like I like to also have – there's an aspect of me that likes to learn from people that have done the shit, you mm-hmm. know, not from someone who talks about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in this, yeah, in this respect specifically, like – if I wanted, like when I wanted to move from real estate, and I, as I mentioned, I was helping a lot of people outside of like, this is how you do a contract. This is how you sell a house, right? I could, sh- that was easy for me. That became like water. But how to help their mind deal with the negatives, like a buyer's buying, 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 it's $10 million or $5 million. And all of a sudden they turn away and they've already set like, oh, I'm going to get 50 grand in commissions over the next three months taken away, those guys sometimes don't recover because they already sort of played a fantasy out of what was going to happen. So I was finding that a lot of my help ended up being helping people balance what was going on and understand training their mind more than the logical, technical, real estate side of things. So in leadership now, it's like, okay, if I'm going to go into a business where I want to go and help people see the potential and benefits in themselves, and whilst I've been able to do it in one specific industry, before I go and make this a full-scale thing, I'm going to go and invest in myself, and that's where we've met in past events and courses, learning, and at, and I'm not talking cheap shit, you know, I mean, we're talking like we sp- I spent big money, and, you know, we know the levels we've spent on certain things. It's like I spent big money every year from about 2015 onwards, finding out, okay, now that I know the game of real estate and mindset, how can I learn about NLP? How can I learn about social leadership? How can I learn about technical? How can I learn about digital marketing? How can I learn about all these different pillars that form me being one of the best 
uh, sort of avenues for someone to go, hey, I need help and I can help them rather than I can help them, I always can. And so I don't feel bad about it, but I'm still limited. I was like, how can I make sure that no matter what they come to me with, I do have some resources I can pull onto. And if it's not my resource, I have met someone within a field that can help. You know, and I know that I've built a relationship with them. And that only happens because, again, if you raise, if you go up on the newer spheres and you, you know, you can deal with hate and you can deal with all the praise, you start to meet many more people. You start to meet, you know, if you can deal with more hate, I'll tell you, you can meet much more bigger people because the bigger people are dealing with huge amounts of hate. You never get access to them because you stop at a certain point of hate. And so it's like, that's why you never meet that contact. <laughs> so for me, it's like, how fast can I get hate? It's what Grant Cardone says, right? Go get more haters. Like, I fully understand that. Go get the haters because if you're getting the haters, you're definitely getting some growth. You're definitely being pushed to you know, outside your comfort zone. And when people see that, these people will just appear out of nowhere. They'll just come up and be like, hey, I like what you're doing. And I've never met them. Some of these guys come up on my Instagram. They message me. I'm like, I didn't know you were following me for X amount of time. But sometimes I'll do something where it is polarizing or I'll say something that is sort of off-field and people are like, ooh, he went there. Because <laughs> I think I, I posted something. I was sidetracked. I posted something with Trump, Ellen DeGeneres, some of the some of the topics that were really sort of out, people were like not there, and I had like that was that story had so many replies. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because I didn't take a side, but I brought up something that is so triggering to people, just to spark conversation. And when I spark conversation, obviously my response was all about balance, and people haven't seen that explanation. It's normally like, man, you know about it too. Where do you stand? And it's like, hey, <laughs> let's let's not talk about where where we stand. Let's talk about why do you think there is a stand? You know. Why do you think there must be an X and a Y? So that that sort of things is like um, one side. And I, think, I, and I yeah. think that's exactly what that part is because you need to be able to stand in front of everyone. Doesn't matter how big that crowd is. Stand up for this is where I stand. This is what I believe in, mm-hmm. and I'm happy to talk about it. Whether you're a hater or whether you're a lover, it actually doesn't matter. Yeah. But you can stand your ground and lead that pack, whoever that might be. So. Yeah. Even starting those conversations when no one else is willing to do so, this is something Shiv and I spoke about, I think, um, when we released the racism episode. And actually, um, I think it's featured on the Shiv show. So that was exactly that because we had such polarizing different, you know, responses. Some people were backing us up and this is something that was spot on. And I think you had much more, um, what do you call conversations happening what was some what was do you remember some of the things that happened because it's very similar to what's happening here yeah so i mean in terms of racism i'll I'll pluck one out of the air like from say say it's and i won't name names but i had a conversation with someone it was like initially the conversation was um this is so bad you know some aspect there was a level of uh, discrimination now the thing is if you're only looking at that especially if it's from generations ago, which a lot of it was, it would have been they're they're now living a very normal, healthy, privileged life where they, you know, if like for example, this person is in Australia, getting the benefits of the government, you know, you you wouldn't get that in certain other like in America, you wouldn't get that, for example. So they were getting a lot of benefits, but the anger was, well, my forefathers or two generations up had this, and so I'm behind, and so I'm behind, and so I need to get it out on someone else. And the thing is, they it's like I want a forced view of where you stand. You need to tell me, like, you stand for, you know, BLM or you stand for X, for this. Otherwise, you're a racist, right? <laughs> but by by doing that, they become a racist in the mirror. In the mirror, because True. what actually happens is, if you think about it, that's what the white supremacists would have done during the KKK times. It's like, you need, and there would be a white guy that goes, I actually, I don't want to have slaves. Or I don't remember whatever, but he lives in an area where that became like, if you don't stand for us and go and like 
get these guys to where they need to be, like on the bottom, and we're going to put them down, then you're also going to be part of them. So then the white, then he joins the majority group, right? But realistically, in his mind, he didn't really have that specific view. So they're just taking sides based on the the perceived, again, it's the perceived agreement socially at the time. But many times you'll find that it changes once certain information comes to light. So there's a few, um, this there's a, bits of information that's come up after George Floyd's thing, you know, like different body cameras and a whole bunch of people that were citing it were now against it. And I'm not, like, again, I'm not saying there's a right or wrong. At the end of the day, it's like when certain pieces of information come up, your opinion changes. But if you get charged at the first side of information and then go down a tangent, what ends up happening is you're showing the world where you stand on something, and if you force people to take your view, by default, you're becoming the enforcer or the person that is forcing someone to have a view that matches you, which is what the whole thing was mm. 150 years ago. Just that, like jumping on a bandwagon. Sorry, I'll just I'll interject quickly. I, I've been super quiet and it's, it's, everyone knows me for talking so much. But <laughs> when, when really good things are being said, I, I like to shut up and listen. And listen, man, you've, you've dropped some, some really amazing knowledge on us today. So th- this has been amazing. Um, I will say this, though, as Michelle mentioned, when we talked about the racism mm. side of things and, and, and talking about bold subjects is, is always a good thing, right? And, and you're right. I had people messaging me saying, you know, whose side are you on? You're, co- you're a colored guy. This and that. I, I am the first to say that. I, I have made stupid comments. I've said so many stupid things. But now that you're older and you've done your research and you grow up and you mature, you, you realize the stuff that you've done and said wrong. Absolutely. 100%. And I think... I think when, when, you know, when we started getting these messages from, from people, we, we started realizing that actually, you know, if you're a colored person and you're absolutely against white people, you're, you're, all, you're also a racist. And yeah. you should not be fighting racism with racism. And my, my biggest point, and I actually spoke about this at, at work and, and, and to multiple different teams, is do not fight racism with more racism because you're not beating anything. You're actually making it worse and you're creating, you're creating this sort of culture. So, listen, man, I love what you're saying for sure. I feel like yeah. we should move on because we've been, yeah, we've whatever, been on this whatever. for a while. In essence, the subject closes very simply like this. If you think racism is a problem and you go, we need to end racism, which is what the whole topic currently over the last month has been or two months has been, to get the opposite of racism, what would that kind of be? And the way you think about it, it's like, okay, opposite would be world peace, right? Peace, everyone loves everybody. The only way to get the extreme of that would be one person eliminates everyone else and you've got one guy. Now you've got world peace. It doesn't work. You can't. You can't go to the extreme. But the thing is, if you, um, if you're trying to, if you want to allow yourself to be worked up, let me tell you how that works. It's going to affect you in your personal circle, meaning your job, your family, your work. Because if you're charged on something which you can't actually bring to world peace, by the way, because we know that one person on the planet's impossible, so you're already chasing some fantasy, mm. then your whole world is deteriorating, right? And now you got to go. Well, where, where am I going with this? Do you know what I mean? So that's. I will close on that. We can do a whole separate. I want to go into, I want to go into the, to your the program that you've created and the business you've created now, but I also want to go into the challenges that you hit when mm-hmm. building this business. So I'd love to yes. hear about the business is, that you built now and, and some of the challenges you, you, you hit. So the, the biggest challenge would have been uh, taking the jump from real estate to this. And I think that's what most people, um, you know, when you're finally going from like income, monthly income to, drop a bunch of cash onto something and then wait for it to start running the cash flow to bill. Um, I, the way I did it was I've learned about 
through all the books, you know, take the jump. Just Steve Harvey's a big person that I follow a lot, you know, and uh, I look at a lot of his motivation stuff. It's like just jump, get hurt on the way down, but you will eventually fly. Um, I was not able to do that as such because, like, I, I wanted to jump, but I was still – real estate was so good, meaning – I was in the top team, you know, and I kept looking. Yeah. And I was like, maybe I should just do that and then help coach on the side. And that's sort of what happened around 2017 when I, when we met. I was doing both. I was mm-hmm. starting to sort of help people one-on-one and still selling. I find, I stopped fully selling uh, last late last year. Like, no, like, like all my ads have stopped. All my real estate side of myself has disappeared <laughs> in terms of promoted material. Mm-hmm. And that's because I've built enough now where I had to build – a network of people that I can coach one-on-one and obviously one-on-one is the start then it goes to groups mm. so and then it goes to online groups so right now my current project is I'm working on a, an online group which I've already got people in and I just coach them and mentor them one-on-one for 12 months mm-hmm. and then outside I do I have a series of different um, techniques programs NLP things that I coach people on if they want to be a coach and, and run that business I can certify you on that if you need help with certain negative emotions I teach people that but the struggles going to that was the same thing I felt I was repeating real estate again, meaning when I went to that office with my boss that I spoke about and he was like, work for free because if you work for free and you're good, then I'll let you have the job kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I kind of did that to me. Only thing I was the boss. So I went and got, I was like, what's the problem? I'll do it. For, like, I'm going to help you through this challenge. I don't need anything. I, and if, in my mind, I was like, if I'm going to be doing this and it is something, and again, like it's my purpose, I, I, I had no problem doing it without the cash but I was like, you also want the cl- the person that you're working with to respect and use it, right? You can't have someone mm-hmm. that goes, oh, since it's free, I'm going to just take it. So mm-hmm. that was the only filter I used. I looked at people that actually would benefit from what I was doing for free. And that's how I built because I got a series of testimonials very quickly. And obviously those testimonials were not the testimonials for real estate because I had tons for real estate, right? But I was like, mm-hmm. I can't use the same thing. So got the testimonials, did a lot of work for free. And even if I did start getting paid work, meaning if I had to say someone I would coach for on a five-hour session or I saw, there was 10 hours of work to do, I would go 15 hours. Like I'll just do the extra without even like thinking about it. It was just I'll do it till it, the job was actually done and they got the yeah. result, right? Mm-hmm. That built me good like followers start, I've got my Instagram followers growing. I've got my Facebook page growing. I've had um, word of mouth has been the strongest. That's how my real estate business grew. So I just changed mm-hmm. my signature on my email to say uh, NLP trainer, coach, life mentor. That itself just sparked a whole bunch of people that had relationships with me to go, oh, I, you're doing that now as well. Mm-hmm. So that led to different people. Um, and then so that's, and that took a while. The, the thing is 2018, 19, it's slow growth because – at, while I was doing it, I was like, I need to learn more because I had no idea about digital marketing, for example, and that's part of running your business. Now, I'm a coach and a mentor and a teacher and speaker in mindset, social leadership, consciousness, and so on, but you still need to know that aspect unless you can delegate it, right? And I'm not a, at that point, I didn't want to delegate something to someone mm-hmm. that I felt you know, they say they know what they're doing, but I don't know where the dollar's going. So if someone tells me, mate, yep. I'm going to, I'm going to pave, you know, your, your, I'm going to pave your front and it's 20 square meters and I'll put these bricks and do that. And I can see it. I know where my money went. But if someone goes, give me two grand, four grand, we're going to put you 50,000 website clicks, 40,000 impressions. I can't see that stuff. So I didn't like yeah. it. And a lot of people have got burnt because it's like invisible work. Mm. Right. Yep. Yep. And so end up, um, fine. Now I've got a good contact in that. So once I build trust with someone that I can actually do that and I get a reward from it and I know the work is done, amplified that. So you guys may have noticed like this year I focused on actually putting up free, like just videos to build a brand on uh, YouTube, Instagram and all that sort of stuff, which I've never done. I've all done one-on-one work. It's almost like I'm a trainer that no one knows about because I just work one-on-one and network like through mm-hmm. referral network. Mm. Now it's like 
I'm going to, I want to go into big groups now and I want to go into like where I have a series of people that build a following based on my stuff. And then from that group, specific people that want one-to-one work, I'll do it. Do you know what I mean? So that's where the business is at right now. Uh, I love every part of it because like the conversations we have now, you know, there's tons of people in terms of that racism topic. I've had multiple conversations where people have just lost the charge on it because they understand that, you know, you're just running a race that doesn't Mm -hmm. have an end and, Mm -hmm. And it's pointless. And it's not, they didn't have to pick a side, by the way. It's not like they, they end up picking Trump or Biden or racism or not racism. They just have a hope. They realize it's way bigger than that. It's not about what they, they, they were playing in the wrong pen, sort of. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So in that sense, I love that because, you know, the funny thing is when they released that, their business grows, the relationship got better, relationship son, daughter got better. It's like, you don't actually know that actually between that, that thing that you were so stressed about is what was having you break down within your personal space, yep. you know? Um, and it's sad because until you get the awareness, you think you're doing the right thing, you know? Um, and so that's the, that's the, the love of what I do. And I'll tell you, I, I'm trying to get better every day in what I do. So like, even like I admire you too, because you guys, you know, speaking on your podcast, seeing how you guys have done this. I saw you guys start this uh, joint podcast I think it would have been like March, April, maybe somewhere that started to happen, you know, kind of thing during the lockdowns, right? The world lockdowns. Mm-hmm. And it's like adaptability. When I see people that inspires me, because I, I don't, it doesn't matter who it is in the planet, but if I see someone that they're just like challenge, you know, or something roadblock or some hump comes in. And as Bruce Lee says, flow like water. So it's like, just, just, that's all you guys are doing. And I'm like, I love that stuff because it inspires me to do stuff as well. And well, b- uh, <laughs> between, between you, Rashawn and I, and everyone else listening, we, we actually did not know what we were doing. So we, we just, we literally had the, the attitude of let's just give it a shot. Why not? Well, let's throw yeah. it out there. Let's put it out to the world. We always, we love to talk. We love to listen. Let's talk about topics that we think people would like. And honestly, it got a lot of traction after a few weeks and actually probably even from day one, it got a lot of traction. So it's, it's You don't know what you're going to get until you start putting content out there. Yeah, 100%. And that's the, like I got past that probably – like I got past it three years ago when I started even just – even real estate. I had to put my face on freaking, you know, the domain state. Like I put it on Billboard. I hated doing that. Yeah. But I did it. And it was kind of weird because it's like you can do it, you know, a top team. So there was like some reason to do it. Whereas when you're coaching, it's like you're literally going out there saying, hey, I can help you with something. What is the thing? And talk to me about it. Now, you really got to have like a super level of confidence, but you also have to have a level of competence, right? Because if you have the competence, then the confidence is there. So it's like I went and did the art. If you guys followed me in terms of like educational stuff outside of the normal school stuff, books to podcasts, to reading, like every day I have a list of things that I do that ensure that each day I have moved the needle forward in some topic, right? Mm -hmm. So like when the COVID thing hit, I was like, the biggest thing right now to master is not about how things should have been, but how to just adapt on the spot. Like this is the skill. Mm -hmm. If you're not, I think there was a podcast that came up. I think it might've been, it might've been Ed Milet and someone, one of his guests, but it was like, they said in their businesses, they knew that at this point, those that didn't want to adapt were going to be left behind. But those that adapted the fastest would sort of, they might still lose some things, but they'll mm-hmm. be the ones that come back the quickest, right? So I was like, okay, I had an event uh, the night, yeah, the next morning, 10 a.m. or 9 a.m., my sec, I'd had to do my next NLP event, right, with the students and stuff. I'd send them all the manuals, about to run the event. And the venue emailed me at like 9.50. I have the email. I've screenshotted it because I use it with my students. Like 9 or 10 p.m., the head manager was like, you can't come in tomorrow because whilst at that point, W had done some lockdowns, like certain venues were shut, but not all of them. So I found a venue that was still open. 
I had to I had to change from one already to this one because they were like, well, we're still going to wait till the government actually locks it down. She had an email me the night because she could, we know it hasn't happened, but we've decided that we're also going to shut earlier. I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm messaging right. the students <laughs> at like 10.50 p.m., 11 p.m. saying don't come at 7 a.m. tomorrow. I have no venue and I haven't worked out what I'm going to do, right? And at that point it was low because I was like, it takes me a lot to build up to that. Like the week before running an event, I'm like going through, it's five days, do you know what I mean? I have, to, I have to rehearse five days because when you do day one, you don't get to rehearse for the next four days. It's like day one, you just get a little bit for the next day, next day, next day. So that five day takes about three weeks to get ready for. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I can't present. So adaptability was like, okay, this is happening. Find out who, which student wants his money back, which student's not willing to wait. Because by the way, I also realized COVID means a lot of people might be under financial stress. I'm not going to be one of those trainers that goes, let me try to hold your funds. You know, let's just delay. I was like, who needs refunds? Done. Who doesn't? Who's willing to wait? Done. Mm. So full of comfort. The thing is the guys that want refunds got refunds, but they, they, they're messaging me going, when are we going to do it again? So like, you know what I mean? If you build that relationship, things work well. Mm. Um, so anyway, it got canceled. I've adapted since. I was like, how can I get this whole course online? I never planned to do that because the thing is I loved interaction. I've always been one of those guys. Um, I don't think that's going to change. Um, so for now, like I've mentally adjusted my mind to go run this course till things are okay mm-hmm. again but run it with an attitude of gratitude, meaning you still can run a business. Whereas some people, as you know, like I have friends that like, I've got a pilot friend, he can't fly, you know, and, and a few, a while ago, that, that was like a sought after high paying, super respected job. We've spoken about this on different, on different topics. It's like, he doesn't have a job. I still am able to kind of make something happen. Mm, so yeah. um, attitude of gratitude is key. And it's like, that's, that's where the challenges are now, man. I don't think the challenges stop shift. Like I know the question was like, what's the biggest challenge, but the biggest challenge at the start would be jumping and letting go what was already a well-oiled machine and going to create a new well-oiled machine. That was very hard for me to get mentally over because the amount of people questioning it was huge. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, from colleagues to, I don't know, man, it just doesn't end. It wasn't so yeah. like my, but my mom again, she didn't question it. You know, she was just like, man, if that's what you want to do, then that's what you want to do. Mm. My dad did have some questions, <laughs> um, but he always has, you know, because security security for him is like the main thing, you know, and this is the thing now when I look at it, I don't even look at the question as a challenge because the 18 year old Moses would have, it'd be like, man, what's this? But I, I now pretend, Hey, if I live my dad's life, if I was brought up in Malaysia, worked on a kampung, moved rubber pipes when I was young, you know, his dad passed away when he was two, um, when he was seven and his mum passed away when he was two. So like he was brought up by his grandma and I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. he five older sisters, you know? So like, he grows up, he's had a tough life, he comes here, he makes this happen. It's like for him, I can't expect him to just understand, hey, jump, go and take risks, no problem. Yeah, I think Mick yeah. Shiv spoke about this last week. You know, you've got a, he's got someone within his family which is complete opposite to risk to him. We, we can't expect someone to understand our world, but I do mm-hmm. see all the benefits because, by the way, despite him saying all that, I do see that it brings me off that supercharged jump and take a risk because like like i said before you know if you get all these hated like all these good positive things happening and you get fantasy and you sort of go wow wow this is like a contract i spoke about before you know fantasy 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 wow there's so much positivity your ego starts to go to high and then you start to do something too far Mm, so dad's role is it's not negative i don't it's not negative anymore it's like dad's role is the balancer okay so da 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 so now so it's like for me it's hard for me now to find something that I would say openly to you guys is a negative thing. I kind of feel mm-hmm. either it's a lesson um, or it's something I haven't seen the positive side to because I just can't do it in the present moment. But like yeah. in one day or two days, I'll get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, that's all, that's all attitude. Like that's yeah. all attitude. So someone may look at, you know, let's say, for example, their parent 
questioning yeah. it, someone may look at that and say, you know what, you're right. Like, I can't do this. And my parents, mm. you know, yep. put it, putting me down. Whereas probably guys like us will be like, oh, don't worry about it. It's fine. Recognize that they've grown up differently, that they've grown up a different support system, maybe no su- support system at all. And yep. we would just, we would just go through it anyway. So I think it's, I think that it, recognizing that, you know, we, we've grown up differently, recognizing that, yes, it's yep. a challenge, but we can actually hit it. Yep. It's fine. And for you to, I do, to do that, I think you need emotional intelligence and a level of self-awareness along with empathy. So mm-hmm. you can actually detach yourself and go, that person, whether that's a parent or whoever, it might be even an employee, yep. going through that season in that point of view, but yep. you know where you stand, again, because of self-awareness, and you can actually project that with a level of kindness and not have to get worried about it, no reaction. So. Yeah, what what you say there uh, is one of on like day four of my event. I run through exactly what you're saying. It's called perception, perceptional positions, and it's an NLP technique which a lot of trainers that I know, a lot of the mentors and people I follow, they know about it. See, the thing is, of all the education we've done, it's all stored in our unconscious mind. Sometimes we don't bring it out saying this is what the technique is, but it's because mm-hmm. of that I'm, I'm able to do that. And it's what you say, like so with dad or me, and uh, like that circumstance of someone questions you, I always go, what's my perception, positive, negative. What if I was him? What's the positive, negative? And and then the third one that you do is you go, not you or the person, but if you were the fly on the wall, mm. okay, or if you were the the, the base. Seeing yourself you, in a bad person. Yes. So you go. I'm looking at it at both of them having this conversation. Moses having a conversation with his dad and his yeah. dad having, and I'm not attached to either, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when you do that, it literally takes five minutes. Whatever you were charged on before, I guarantee will not be the same. Yeah, because it yeah. completely changes. So we'll run through that. That's like quick things that, you know, I when people come into my group or my trainings or that, that's one of the things I do in like the first two weeks because it relieves so much stress and anxiety that people have. And some of this stuff is from years. Mm. Oh, if I, if I was going to say I want to run this business, if I'm going to put my first this out, I was going to buy this, I feel that this mm-hmm. super ego or this person's going to come and tell me this. And literally, they're just frozen. And you know, the funny thing is, some people are frozen for life, man. You know, they freeze till the end of time. Yep. Nothing happens. So this is what drives me. Because if I start going deep into it, like when I, when I, when I even have to say that to you guys, that there are people that I even know right now. I know they're frozen, but it's not like I can help them because they don't want to seek help. And that's the other thing. You need to seek the help. Mm, yeah. Just because you know Correct. someone, someone stuck doesn't mean you know ships like this super helpful person and Rashad's super helpful. And you know that they're kind of a friend or an acquaintance. So you go in there and pour your heart and soul out. If they're not open to it or mm. seeking it, it doesn't matter. So, you know, as soon as someone asks for it though, I love it because I'm like, wow, here we go. It's going to change. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. um, I that's have a really good point. I've been talking <laughs> for an hour. This has been a crazy session. Shiv, do you have any, um, what, what questions do we have left? We we've got like, literally, we got nowhere because this has been such a great <laughs> conversation on, on the actual question list, but I do have to ask. Yeah. Cause I thought I was a huge Kobe fan and then I met you <laughs> now he's had, you know, I, I had the pleasure. I, I, I met Kobe and Shaq in Toronto yep. that to me and growing up, I mean, I didn't know how I was meeting them, but growing up, I'm like, oh, yeah, I met them. This is amazing. I, I literally gave them like props and that was it. But <laughs> now seeing, seeing who Kobe was t- to me, it was, it was just amazing. He wasn't just a role model, but he was someone that you literally, someone that you wanted to be and someone that you wanted to emulate. Now, and then I met you, who is probably like the number one Kobe fan in the world. Talk to me about the the impact that he's had in your life. I think, yeah, the impact's grown in time. So the early part, when I'm, I was only learned stuff from Jordan, when I started playing basketball in high school, I 
got VCR tapes of Michael Jordan. I didn't even know about Kobe as such. And at that time, I heard stuff like, oh, there's the Kobe guy and this LeBron guy, and they're the new Jordans. I mean, and a little bit of me was like, there ain't going to be anybody that's this new Jordan. Who do they think they are kind of thing? You know, I'm, I'm talking like I'm 15, 16, maybe. <laughs> um, so everything I learned was through going to the local library, getting all these little VCR tapes. And, and how do you shoot? And how do you do this? Long story short, once the uh, I was able to access like uh, you know like Foxtel, which I could pay for myself, then I managed to start seeing NBA games. Then I found out about Kobe, and what attracted me to him. The main point I would have to say is he was never the best, the fastest, the highest jumper, the quickest, the best shooter. None of the actual talents at the time he entered the league, like Vince Carter, who's he was actually my favorite player. Kobe's after mm-hmm. him. My favorite player is Vince Carter. Not many people know that. But um, Vince Carter was up there and I relate to certain things for him. One of them was he left his finals game to go get his degree and come back. And I related to it from a cultural perspective. I was like, man, this guy really uh, wanted to keep his parents happy. Mm -hmm. He was willing to miss the game, go quickly do that, keep mom happy, and then rush back to the game at the risk of everyone going, what the hell, you know, you missed the last shot. So I respect that because that's a a trait that a player has who's a – I mean, mean, I'm sure, Shiv, you know, being from Canada, like the guy – you know, changed the game down there. And he's like, okay. so I respect, I respected that sort of stuff. But Kobe was, you know, Kobe says himself in interviews, like Vince was crazy. Everyone's like, Where's, we're waiting for him to play. We're not, who's this guy? We don't know about him. But the work ethic, bro, like that's it. Like I started to look at the work ethic and, it, and I've watched all the interviews and I was like, especially the one after he missed all those shots in the playoffs, which I did a video on. I don't know if you guys have watched that, but I did a, a video, like one of my second or third videos was about that because I was like, I got to pay respect to like, this is one of the things I've used in business, even in real estate. I was never expected to do okay with my boss when he said work for free. You know, he looked at me, his actual words were, you have to work for free because I had a few other guys who had experience come to me. The only, he literally said, I just didn't like their attitude. They had a bit of an attitude. You have a really good attitude, right? I like you, but you have no experience. So he goes, the way we fix it is you work for free. And I, this is the thing, my work ethic was like, I can tell you now, and this is not me bragging, but I would work. Like I stay yeah. till the sunset and pass. You, you could not outwork me. And I take that Will Smith thing because I learned about that back then. I was like, if they want to try, they're going to lose. So I worked and worked and worked. And um, Kobe, when I saw that in him, it was not more his play, right? It was like, he played like amazing. And then I was like, this is what drives it because he was slower. You know, he didn't jump as high. He had the injuries, but he was able to sort of... Um, lose in front of that whole arena in the Utah Jazz playoffs. Four air balls in a row. You know, even in a local league, if you shoot an air ball now as a non-NBA player in your local mm-hmm. league, just for fun, people are like, man, that was shit, right? You do it too. <laughs> so for me, it's like everyone's watching this guy and then they get kicked out. And then he goes to his high school and shoots till the sun comes up to get the shots right because he said his legs weren't yeah. there. I relate to that. Like immediately I relate to it. because So that's why the name is more... I associate all the mentality behind it and adapt that mentality in myself. One of the other things I think if we're closing because of the time, I'll quickly tell you, I learned this. It's called traits of the greats, right? When you see a great who a Kobe is to me, he has a trait. It's the trait of the great, but the trait is in you. Mm. So when you look up to them, I don't put Kobe on a pedestal and go, wow, look at this guy, right? I do it like this. I go, He's a great and he has a trait, which I can also have because I'm a human. Mm-hmm. I have the same exact trait. Mm. It's not going to be expressed in the talent of basketball. I will express the trait of work ethic in coaching, mm. in real I estate. Love that. Right? Mm-hmm. So you take the trait and you express it in God's given form for you. If you try to take that trait and go, I'm going to go and express that 
clutchness that he has or that work ethic in basketball, but that's not your God-given gift, that's when you get stressed and you're sort of yep. working under someone else's version of the world. So distinguishing the two and going work ethic. And literally that's all I do, man. So that's why, like, you know, I'm a – apart from being a basketball fan, I've always been a shoe collector. I've collected kicks from 16. As soon as I as soon as soon I wanted to go do the mining trucks, I was like, man, once I get there, I'm going to buy shoes, like, nonstop. Because, <laughs> because – um, that was because when I was young, we couldn't afford them. You know, my mom took uh, two years to buy me one of the shoes I wanted, which was Vince Carter's shocks. The, the, nice. you know, yeah. And yes. I remember when I got them, I was in year 10 or year nine and I was going to like my first season of basketball. And there was a moment I remember in my mind so well, I gave wore the shoe and then just before leaving, I took it off and wore my old shoes. <laughs> and the reason that, yeah. And I, and I remember in my head, I was like, she took so long to buy this. I don't want to wreck this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I, I loved like I loved it so much. I still have it today. I'm 32. Oh, right? wow. I have it. It's upstairs nice. in its origin in its original box, and it's like I was like one day when I can just freely buy the stuff I want, I'm gonna do it. Which mm-hmm. is literally that's just one of the like guilty pleasures I have, if you want to mm-hmm. call it that, right? But it's like my way of rewarding myself for certain things. So whenever yeah. I sold a house, I buy a shoe. So obviously, I sold mm-hmm. lots of houses in my time. So I have a, a, a lot of shoes up there, and. um then it became Kobe, so I collected the Kobe's. And when I wear them, if I'm at the gym and there's a set that I can't do, or I know like today it's supposed to be arms, and today you're meant to do five sets of triceps and five sets of biceps, and I'm on four, like it's hard to go home when you're walking in Kobe's, and I'm like, well, he ain't gonna do this, right? Yeah, yeah. It, rep- it represents something to me, so it's like, <laughs> nah, go back. Yeah. So that's that's in a nutshell for you. <laughs> love I love that. Love it. Yeah. Good, good. Well, listen, I, I say we wrap up. Um, I'll, I'll go yep. first, Rashawn. I'll, I'll leave you to close. But this this has been amazing, man. I think for, for me, I've learned so much from you. And I feel like we should do a part two because we're only at the beginning. But um, listen, yeah. thank you so much for your time. Thanks for your amazing leadership. Thanks for your thoughts on, on everything. And uh, we, we got to definitely do this again. Absolutely. Thank you, man. And I think Appreciate there's it. so much to take away just from this one hour. I've just been sitting here listening personally. <laughs> just absorbing information as much as I possibly can. So um, I'm, I have no doubt we'll do a part two. So let's keep this going. And like this episode, we're going to be bringing to, bringing to you guys uh, different types of leaders from different formats and um, in different types of backgrounds and experience levels as well. So stay tuned and um, we'll return with another episode real soon with Keys to Leadership. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. So I'll let the audience know as I close because this is probably the best way to close this uh this this conversation i've always been admire admiring what you guys do uh, i really appreciate the fact that you guys have said hey you know let's have a chat i know it's been a long time coming um and i've probably been the reason that i've been pulling back and being i'm not ready for it yet or let's wait but i really appreciate that you guys have had this conversation with me i admire what you guys do and even from a point of view which is this is just for the audience to understand the power of people chasing certain things and doing certain things and just being a leader right rashan spent some time with me about I wanted to start something within my business about, okay, hey, I need to do something. It's not like I don't know how to do it. I do, but I just want to hear that outside opinion. Mm. And you, when you want to do that, go and do it. So I did that. He gave me an hour of his time. He said, hey, this is what you do if you're going to run a podcast, right? Bang, 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 set of things. And then I went and executed. And now I've done 10 interviews on it. And I've got like, I'm building up to 15 or 25 before I start releasing stuff. But the lesson of the story is if you meet like-minded people, you will have some benefits from them. They're going to help you grow. And it, and it goes back to like Rashan helped me. And what people don't know as you listen to this is that he told me when he spent some time with me, 
oh, you know, Mo, I gave you an hour of my time like early in last month and you now start the podcast. Hey, great, you've got these 10 episodes done and you're building on this. But the guy that let me have an hour of his time is Shiv himself. And for people listening, like it's just a full circle because I want you guys to understand, like I didn't know that. And it's called the ripple effect, you know. You got Shiv helps Rashad at some point. He then passes it on. And I know at some point I'll pass it on to someone. And that's mm-hmm. what I love doing. And that's why I just want people to know that you two, um, you know, indirectly or directly have helped me do what I'm doing in that aspect of business. And um, I definitely want to keep staying in touch and build this friendship. So thank you again. No, my our pleasure, awesome. man. And um, on that note, I'm going to take this opportunity to thank Shiv as well. You brought me on to podcasts and I think this is the... It, it's completely yeah. repositioned how my business was actually run as well. So everyone's grateful. Beautiful. <laughs> and, and I got help as well. So it, it's, yeah. it, you're right. And Moses, I think, I think the way you concluded is perfect, right? We're all connected somehow. So yeah. I'll spread yeah. the love and then take it to the next level. 100%. All right, guys. Well, take care. I'll see you guys around. That's Thank it. you. <laughs>